Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Started, so you go ahead and do the math, figure that out. Let's uh, pray and we'll begin. Father, we're so thankful for you. What a good thing for us to be able to gather together in your name to present ourselves to you by faith, knowing that you are meeting us here and that you're going to speak to our hearts, that you're going to challenge us, that you're going to encourage us, that you're going to do a work today. Do whatever we need. Lord, we want to leave this place closer to you with things taken care of that need to be taken care of, encouraged and sent out in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You can open up your Bible with me to Joshua chapter 1. I want to cover just the first eight verses with you and not all of those eight verses, but there are some great principles here for transition. Uh, The Lord is transitioning the children of Israel from the wilderness into the promised land. What an amazing transition that must have been. And uh, some of you guys may be in a place of transition today. Or really, we stand at the brink of the rest of our lives, right? And if we want the rest of our lives to be victorious, if we want God to do some awesome things, then there are some principles here that you and I can learn and we can apply to our lives to see God do those kind of things. Uh, I am very excited to be able to be here with you guys today and pray that the Lord would reach out and touch your heart and do a special work as you guys gather together here uh, this morning. Let's pray one more time. Ask God to bless our Bible study, and then we'll get into study. Lord, thank you again for your word. It is rich, it is deep, it is powerful, and it is profound. And we pray now, as we open up our Bibles, that your word would get into our lives. Fall on good hearts, not rocky, not weedy, not hard, but fall on good hearts and produce 30, 60, and 100-fold as we set our hearts and our minds on you today. And we thank you for this in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As I said, the book of Joshua is, uh, chapter 1 especially, is a transition chapter. It's a transition in a couple of different ways. First of all, they are transitioning from being in the wilderness where they should not have been for 40 years. What should have taken them two weeks to travel from, Is- uh, from Egypt up to the Jordan River, ready to enter into Israel, uh, took them 40 years and they wandered around in the wilderness. Uh, ultimately, they're going from a transition from being slaves to being free, from being slaves in Egypt to being given their own land. God is giving them the land of Canaan. They are crossing over the river Jordan. And if you remember any old gospel songs, there, was a, there almost wasn't a gospel song that didn't talk about crossing over the Jordan. We're looking at them prepared to cross over the Jordan River. And I have a couple of applications as we start this study today. Some of you guys have recently given your lives to Christ. 
I met a few last night that have given their lives to Christ in the last few months. And I want to say to you, first of all, congratulations. I'm really excited about what God's going to do in your life. He is filling you with the Spirit. If anyone is in Jesus, the Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. Old things pass away and He makes everything new. God is in the midst of doing a transition work inside of you. And I think that this will be very powerful for you. I also have another group that I can talk to. And maybe that's not too many of you. And I hope it's not too many of you. But maybe it's a few that are here. And that's you guys that have been wandering around in the wilderness. You should have been in the promised land a long time ago. But you've been wandering around in the wilderness. And maybe you're a little tired. Do you remember one of the main things that happened to the children of Israel when they wandered around in the wilderness? They constantly whined. A bunch of little babies. They complained. Moses was like, I can't take it anymore. Please do anything that you can to make these people stop. So if you've been wandering in the wilderness, I want you to stand up. I'm just kidding. How scary would that be? Yes, I have not been following God as closely as possible. I mean, in reality, wouldn't we all have to stand up? I mean, is there anybody here who would say, no, not me. I've been following Jesus closer than I should be, okay? That's me. None of us would say that. So in a way, there's a transition here for all of us. And that is for us to say, Lord, I really want my life to count. We don't know how much longer we have. I know we don't talk about that much anymore, but I can't help when I see the things happening in Syria today, when I read Isaiah 17 that says that Damascus, and it's talking about the last days, will not be able to be inhabited, and there's a war in Syria today, it makes me think, huh, huh, could it be today? Could Jesus come back for his church today and we need to redeem the time. Boy, Paul said that some 2,000 years ago. Let's redeem the time. So let's start as the Lord now. Moses has died. That, this is another transition here. Moses has died and Joshua has taken his place. How would you like to have to take Moses' place? Of all people. All right, Moses is gone now and I'm your new leader. That'd be tough in itself. And so God is encouraging the people. He's encouraging Joshua. And he's getting them ready to go in and receive what God has for them. And we'll start in verse 1 of Joshua chapter 1. Where it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying... And by the way, if you're an assistant of some type, that, that ought to be encouraging to you. This is Moses' assistant who is now going to lead the children of Israel. And Joshua will do an absolutely phenomenal job over the next 40 years. He will divide them a land. He will encourage them when they need to be encouraged. He gets on them when they, he needs to get on them. And Joshua is incredibly motivational. Great leader. It says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over the Jordan, you and all of the people, to the land which I am giving them the children of Israel. Then listen to this incredible promise he gives to them. Every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you as I said to Moses. That's a pretty incredible promise to them. Every place they walked, they got. Uh, if God gave us that kind of promise... If God said, go out into the United States and every place the sole of your foot hits is yours. 
There might be a mad dash for the door here when we're done. Mine, 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 mine. I don't know if we'd stop walking our entire life if we were promised every area that we walked upon we would receive. Now God in the next verse gives them some borders. I'm not going to read what those borders are, but I want to just tell you it is from the Mediterranean Sea to the river Euphrates. It is from way further up north than what Israel is today and way further down south than what Israel is today. They never achieve all of the land that God is giving them. Because along with, going, along with placing their feet there, there will come battles. There are Canaanites and Amorites and Jebusites and all other kind of ites that are living all throughout the territory. And they are going to have to do battle as they go out and take this land. It is not as easy as walking on the land. And so they take a significantly smaller section and they do have some borders. They, they can't go anywhere around the world. They've got to go within the borders that God gave them. Now I want to start off by saying this. This is a pretty incredible promise. It may be one of the most incredible promises in all of the pages of Scripture. One of. Because you and I have been given some pretty incredible promises. Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name to bring glory to my Father, I will give it to you. When is the last time that you reached out in faith and said, Lord, I want to begin to pray for things that bring glory to your Father and I want to pray in your name. I want to see you move. I want to see you do the miraculous. I want to see things happen around me. I want to see people that don't know you come to Christ. I want to see those who are struggling and grieving and hurting and I want to see them comforted and ministered to. And you really got a hold of that promise of God. I don't know that God gave them greater promises than he's given to us. We have been given some pretty amazing things. And I really want to achieve all that God has for me. If God has given you a spiritual border that goes from the Mediterranean Sea to the Euphrates River, how much of that territory have you taken over? Have you settled into mediocrity? Have you settled into a Christian walk that is just kind of like, you know, I'm serving Jesus. I'm living for him. Everything is good. Or could we do more? Could God use us in greater ways? Could we be used by God to see the kingdom expanded? It's all good for us to evaluate where we are as we take a look at the incredible promises that God has given us as Christians. There's a lot of people who are perishing. There's a lot of people who need to know Christ. And Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Jesus said, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You that have given your life to Christ, you are a city set on a hill and you can't be, can't be hidden. He also said, you don't light a candle to put it under a basket. When you guys were kids, did you sing that song? I did. I grew up in the United Methodist Church. And we used to sing, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Did you guys sing that? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a basket. No! I'm going to let it shine. That's you. That's every believer in here. That's those of you who think you are really usable by God. And that's those of you that think, I'm not so usable. God can't use me that much. I want to tell you, God's chosen you. God's called you. God has filled you with the Holy Spirit. 
out of you gushes the very Spirit of God? Didn't Jesus say, if any of you are thirsty, then come unto me and drink, and out of you will gush torrents of living water? Everywhere you go, people are being convicted by the Spirit of God, and God is going to use you. We'll talk a little bit more how as we look at this next promise. He gives them another promise. It's connected to the first one. It's just as amazing as an amazing as the other promise, look at verse 3, or excuse me, verse uh, 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you, and I will not forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide an inheritance uh, an inheritance, the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. No man will be able to stand before you. Moses, uh, excuse me, Joshua and the leaders divided the land among the children of Israel. When it came to the tribe of Dan, they gave Dan some of the best land they could possibly receive. It was on the coast. It was like, it was like southern Israel. Instead of Southern California. It was like a beautiful section of land, except there were a group of people that have come from Europe over to that area that were called the Philistines. And the Danites went down and went, beautiful land, I don't want to fight these people, let's go take Lachish. Do you remember that? They went and took Lachish from another tribe so that they didn't have to fight against the Philistines, and it would not be until hundreds of years later that David would end up fighting against the Philistines. Saul would start, David, during the time of the judges, Samson would be fighting against the Philistines, right? Then Saul would become king, he would fight against the Philistines, and finally David would defeat Goliath the Philistine, and he would finally drive them out of the land. But God had promised the Danites, I will be with you, I will fight for you. Go, and there's no man who can stand before you. Had they chosen to go and take Southern California, I mean Southern Israel, God would have given it to them. They could have had the most beautiful of all of the land had God done that for them. Now, you and I haven't been promised land if we go out to do what God's called us to do. You and I have been, been, been promised something that is far more precious in the sight of God, and that is the souls of men and women. We have been called by God to stand as a testimony for Him, as a witness for Him. And we have been given a similar promise. Do you remember when Jesus took Peter aside in a place called Caesarea Philippi? And He said to Peter, you are Peter. You are uh, Petros. And on this Petra, if you remember your Greek, Petros is rock. He changed Peter's name from Simon to Rocky. Yo, Rocky. That's who Peter was. And sometimes we make fun of Peter because Petros is a, is a smaller rock, but it's not like he was a little bitty pebble. It's not like you are, you are Petros. And on this Petra, I'm going to build my church. But he's playing off of the name of Peter there when he says that. He says, you are Petros, and on this Petra, I will build my church, and I am going to give you the keys to the kingdom, and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Tell me 
that that is not a promise that has been given to you and me that is not every bit as significant as the promise that he gave to Israel that no man will be able to stand before you. First of all, you guys here, I'm looking at it. I'm looking at the church. I'm looking at the church that he established. I'm looking at this community that God has put together here in this place in Aurora, and I'm seeing all of the things you guys are doing. I'm looking at your bulletin last night. I'm seeing all of the different outreaches, and I'm looking out at, these, at you guys who are involved in those things. This is the church that Jesus established. Jesus is the one who called you. Ephesians says something amazing. It says that God chose you before the foundations of the world. God's been thinking about you for a long time. And God hasn't been going, oh, when they get here, I don't know what I'm going to do with them. God's had a purpose and God has had a plan. You have been predestined by him. You have received an inheritance by him. You have been equipped with everything you need. Now, this is really important. Because sometimes we don't feel like a warrior. It'd be like this promise given to someone who's not a very good fighter. Uh, no man will be able to stand before you. And let's just imagine uh, that one of their warriors was, um, I, I don't know, just, you know, did I do that? He was just kind of a, he was just kind of a guy who couldn't go out and, and fight. It just wasn't his strength. And he would read that and think, I'm not very good at that. But it was God that was doing the fighting, and God would have stood before him, and that little guy who couldn't fight very well would have been able to do all of the work. And I want to remind you of a couple of things that God has told us. The Bible says in the book of Acts that God added to the church daily those who were being saved. Even though you're called to do the work, you're called like spiritual farmers. You are supposed to plant seeds, you're supposed to water those seeds. The Bible says one man plants, another man waters. And what does the next line say? And God adds the increase. It doesn't say one man plants, one man waters, and one man harvests. So go out there and do the work. That's not what it says. It says one man plants, one man waters, and God adds the increase. God is the one who gets to harvest. We do altar calls after almost every service, right? Sometimes people will say, boy, it must really be amazing to be used by God to give an altar call. And I got to tell you, I mean, sure. Yes, to see God moving is absolutely amazing. But I realize when I'm having people raise their hand or when I'm asking people to come forward to give their lives to Christ, that it's not me. It's the people that are in the church that have been planting those seeds and watering them. And I just came along at the harvest time. I just kind of walked on after everybody else had done the rest of the work and said, let's go ahead and harvest this here. Let's bring this in. A lot of work had been done. You guys have been planting seeds. You don't even know you're planting. You may have planted seeds that you never saw the harvest from. Who knows that God just didn't bring you by someone's life and that God led you, being led by the Holy Spirit, just shared a little bit with somebody, but you had no idea that God had somebody else watering that and planting seeds and getting that ready for harvest the whole time. Because we are the body of Christ, we are the church, and He is the head. He's the one who's doing the work, directing us, leading us, and guiding us. And when He said that, that you, have been, you are the church, this is the church that I will build and I'll establish, and here we are, and then He said this, 
and I give you the keys to the kingdom. You and I have been given the keys to the kingdom. Every once in a while, I like to let people know, I've got the keys, I can let you in. I, I was on the golf course with a guy who doesn't, doesn't know the Lord, and um, he knows that I'm a pastor, and he let a couple of cuss word flies, which are not uncommon on a golf course, for those of you guys that play golf. Uh, golf's a pretty hard game, and this guy let a couple fly, and then he said, I'm sorry. And, uh, and I said, that's all right, I didn't get any on me. That's my basic response, by the way, when someone cusses around me. It's okay, I didn't get any on me. And uh, he said something else about heaven. And I said, hey, I have the keys. I can let you in. I know, I, I've been trusted with the keys. Some of you guys, your wife won't let you have a key to the house. But God's given you the keys to heaven. You know how to let them in. What is it that 1 Corinthians tells us that the gospel is? That Jesus died on the cross according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose from the dead according to the scriptures, and all who believe on him will be saved. Anyone who calls out upon the name of the Lord, it says in Romans chapter 10, will be saved. We've been given the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I love as a summary John 1:12. John 1.12 says, as many as receive him, he gives the power to become a child of God, even to those who believe in his name. That means that today, if you don't know Jesus and you receive him, you invite him in, that he will adopt you into the family of God. And in the Roman world, this is amazing, in the Roman world, when you were an adopted child, you had every legal right a born child had. The, the courtroom, the law, saw you as no different. There was, in their day, the inheritance of the firstborn, which was always more, depending on whether you were Jewish or Roman or whatever you were, there, it was always more. It could have been more or less, depending on, on, on where you were from. But the firstborn got his inheritance, and then all the other children divided the rest of the inheritance. You divided that inheritance with the rest of the children. So here's, here's the picture he's given us. When we receive him, we are adopted into the family of God with all the rights and privileges, and Jesus is the firstborn, and we split the inheritance with everybody else. We have, amen, we have, we have so much more than we can even begin to comprehend. I'm looking out at a room full of people who are rich, and I don't mean in this meager, worldly way. I don't mean out there you have a Bentley parked or out there you've got a, a Rolls Royce parked. Hey, if you do, I'm picking on you right now, okay? If you do, that's okay. Praise God. But that's nothing compared to what you've got up in heaven. Amen. I love when Paul wrote to the, to the, uh, to the Corinthians. And, and they were one messed up church, right? They were a church. And God had established them, and God was doing through them the same thing he's doing through, through, through us. But they were messed up. And, and he's going to write them and tell them, stop that, stop that, stop that, stop that. That's almost the entire letter of First and Second Corinthians. Cut it out, cut it out, cut it out, cut it out. And by the way, cut it out. But in chapter 1, he says this to this church of Corinthians. He says, you have everything. That's another way of saying God chose you before the foundations of the world to give you an inheritance. You have it all. There's nothing you don't have. Our time here on earth 
is simply for us to go through while we're here and to be used by God to plant and to water. Out of us is gushing those torrents of living water. And he gave another promise when he said, this is my church, I'm going to build on the Petra and I'm going to give them the keys to the kingdom. What else did he say? And the gates of hell will not prevail against you. We've given a, we have been given a promise of success. Another thing people will ask me is every once in a while after a service, I'll ask, is there anybody here who would like to give their lives to Christ? And I'll go around the room, and no one will raise their hands. And, and, and I, I was brought up in a church, one of the churches, well, I went to a Methodist church as a kid, but I went over to a Pentecostal church as a teenager. And when they gave an altar call, those people, they knew how to give altar calls, all right? And when they gave an altar call, they didn't stop until as many people as they thought should raise their hand, raised their hands. They'd go for 20 minutes. Anybody else in here? Anybody else here? I'd been saved for years. I'm raising both hands. This hand first and then this hand. Moving over so he thinks I'm somebody else. And over here as well. Anything to get you to shut up and stop. So when I give altar calls and no one raises their hand, I just go, okay, and I pray and we move on. And, and, and someone asked me, do you feel bad when no one raises their hands? Because I think they feel a little awkward. It's kind of like, poor guy. He gave an altar call. No one got saved. <laughs> but but don't, wor don't worry about me, because I'm not the one saving people anyway. God's the one who's saving people. And God guaranteed the gates of hell will not prevail against you. We are going to succeed. There are no wasted seeds, folks. There's no wasted water. You are doing it. Now, not everyone's going to get saved because they have a free will, and they get to choose, and they get to invite Christ into their lives. But people are going to get saved. Jesus said, use the mammon of this world to make friends in heaven. That's an interesting thought. What is mammon? Mammon's stuff. It's money. It's things. It's stuff. It's the things you've got. Use the mammon of this world to make friends in the kingdom of God forever. That means that when you go up into heaven, you're going to be greeted by friends that you influence to, to, to meet their lives, to, so that they would meet Christ and invite him in. In Daniel chapter 12, it says, and those who win many to the Lord, will shine like the stars forever. What an incredible promise we have been given that the gates of hell won't prevail against us. I want to remind you one more thing, and that is that the gates of hell don't move. Sometimes we feel like, oh, I'm at my house, and, and the gates of hell, they're right outside, and Satan's after me, and the devil wants to get me, and, and i got to hide here. No, you move. We are the church. We have legs because the church isn't this building. The church is you that are going to get up. Like th This is like a salt shaker. We're all here. We're going to get out and shake it out all over this city. We have legs and we march on the gates of hell. And the gates of hell will not stand against us. What does it say at the end of the book of James? The very last verse of the book of James says, And a man who turns a sinner from the error of his ways snatches a soul from hell. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. And God will use us. He goes on to say here, finally, in, uh, in, in, in uh, verse... Let's see, let's pick it up in verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do all the law for which Moses my servant, and not to turn from it to the right hand nor to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, 
for then he will make your way to prosper, and then you will have good success. They only had the first five books of the Pentateuch, but God said to them, be courageous be, and be bold that you would keep the law. He didn't say be bold and courageous. You would think when you would read that, he would be saying, be bold and courageous because you're going to go out and face Philistines. You're going to go out and face Jebusites and Amorites. He said, be bold and courageous to do all that is written in the pages of Scripture. Have you ever thought it bold and courageous to do what's written in the pages of Scripture? I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you bold enough, are you courageous enough to do what God said you should do in the Scriptures? Now, this is very important. I'm not saying to you, are you bold and courageous enough to do what I think the Scriptures say you should do? Because we're good at that. We're good at running around telling people, this is what I think the Bible says, this is what I think you ought to be doing. Some people, I know none of you here are like this, but there are some people that are like this. They are agenda setters. They know exactly what you should be doing. They got an agenda for your life. How come you're not doing this? How come you're not doing that? How come you're not doing this? I I go out here on Friday night. Why don't you go out there on Friday night? How often do you pray? I pray this often. They're like setting agendas for you all over the place. There's one agenda setter, and he sits on the throne. And he sets an agenda for us. But God has told us, be bold and courageous. And, And, you know, in times past, Christians have come up with ideas of what it means to be spiritual that had nothing to do with what it really means to be spiritual. For example, do you know that in the late 1700s that it was considered carnal if you wore buttons on your clothes? I'm looking around here at a bunch of carnal people. (laughs) Guys with buttons on, how dare. You guys with t-shirts, you're the spiritual one. You didn't think that when you were coming to church, did you? You guys with t-shirts, you're the ones who are spiritual. See, those all change. And today there might be the rules of evangelicalism. This is what Christians ought to do, and if you're not doing that, you're not really serving God. I'm not concerned about any of that. What I want to know is what does God want for Robert Furrow? What does God want for you? And here's what you can boil the Scriptures down to. If you don't take anything else, learning the Scriptures, memorizing them, knowing them, that is all what this is talking about. The more you learn it, the more you know it, the more you memorize it, the more you grab a hold of the promises of God, the more success you're going to have. But we can boil this down for the sake of this morning, me being able to finish this message and not cover all of those. Aren't you glad about that? We'll boil it down to this, that all of the law and all of the prophets can be fulfilled in this, that you love God and you love your neighbor. All of the Ten Commandments can be wrapped up. The first four is how we are to love God, and the second four is how we are to love one another. In fact, Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. I had talked about this community that he built, this faith community that's built upon the rock that is part of his church. And God has knit your hearts together and the world has nothing like it. I I love when when I walk out in the church that I pastor and I see the people getting ready for church and they're talking, blah, 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 blah. And the person tries to come up and open up the service. We call him our hype guy. He comes out, how y'all doing? We're ready to serve Jesus. You ready to follow Jesus? Come on, let's stand up worship. We get a hype guy. And how hard it is for him to get their attention. The hype guy's going on, and they're like, blah, 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 blah. Because God has, he has knit our hearts together. Because God has put us in a work together that we would do the work that God's called us to do. And if you are courageous enough to say, you know what? I'm not going to live for this world. I'm going to live for God. 
I'm going to love God. I'm going to love the people that I'm ministering to. And I'm going to love each other. I believe that God will do something through us that is far beyond anything we can imagine. I believe we stand on a brink of a transition in our lives from where we were to where we're going. And if you have been in the wilderness and you have been living for yourself or you've been living for something as shallow as, as, as some kind of a, a car... Or, or, or some kind of a house that you would now say, I'm setting my eyes on the kingdom of God. We're only passing through here for a time and I want God to use me and I want to be bold and I want to be courageous to fulfill all that God has given me. This reminds me of Psalms 1 and in this I'll close. Psalms 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season and whatever he does will prosper. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we're so thankful that we could take a look at these incredible promises that you have given to the people of Israel to cross over the River Jordan being led by Joshua. And as we reflect on the incredible promises that have been given to us. That you have told us that we could ask anything to bring glory to the Father according to your will. That the gates of hell will not prevail against us. And that we have all of the promises of Scripture that we can hang on to and see what you have and what you want to do. Lord, I pray for us in this room that you would stir our hearts up for the lost. We know there are people that are perishing. And we pray now that your Holy Spirit would, would work in us and work in those who have never surrendered themselves to you, that they would surrender and invite and begin to live for you today. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.